Well, good afternoon, Kensington Temple. It's fantastic to be back with you at the 2.30 service. Um, I want to say thank you to Pastor Colling and the leadership of the house for asking me to come and be part of this service and minister and share the word of God with you. It's a great honor and privilege uh, to be able to do that. Amen. Amen. I want to bring you a word from Ephesians chapter 6 today. So please, if you've got your Bibles, please go with me to the epistle of Paul to the Ephesians chapter 6. And I want to read a very familiar passage for those of us who are you know, evangelical, charismatic, Pentecostal Christians. We, we love this passage. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, I want to read from verse 10. The epistle of Paul to the Ephesians chapter 6 from verse 10. And it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the day, in the evil day, and haven't done all to stand. Verse 14 says, Stand therefore, having gathered your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mysteries, the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Hallelujah. I'm very, very fond of the epistle of Apostle Paul to the Ephesians. I once had a a theologian, a Bible scholar and Bible teacher say it's the queen of all epistles. That it's the bank of all believers. It is where we go to draw on the things that God has done for us. And so when you read the epistle of Ephesians, uh, to the Ephesians from chapter 1, you see the things that God has done for us. You see how he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. You go to verse 18, we have this incredible power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead that is available unto us just because we believe. We, we are part of the body of Christ. In chapter 2, Paul reminds us of how we were, in our, why we were dead in our sins and our trespasses and how God, you know, who is rich in mercy, has taken us out of that oppression of the devil and brought us into his kingdom. You go to chapter 
chapter 3, it's all blessings and blessings. And you, you come to chapter 4, he begins to plead with us with the mercies of God. In chapter 5, he begins to talk to us about marriage, about children, about husband loving your wife, wife submitting to your husband. And so he comes to chapter 6. I haven't done all of these things, talking to us about family, the blessings of God. And he says, now, God has done all those things for you, but here is your path. Understand that the enemy is going to attack you. And I don't know how aware you are that since the day you gave your life to Christ, you enlisted in the army of God to fight for his kingdom, to be part of the kingdom of God and to be part of the armies of God. But he says to us, no, 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 you are not going to need guns. You're not going to need suicide vests. You're not going to need swords. You're not going to need any of those things because this battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against spirits. It's a spiritual warfare. We engage in spiritual warfare. But he says, don't be afraid because you are dressed to kill. Amen. That was the title of a, of, a, of a book written by one man who was talking about Ephesians chapter, you know, chapter 6 from verse 10. Dressed to kill. You are dressed to withstand the enemy. You are dressed to fight the enemy. You, God has given you all of the equipments that you need to fight the enemy. Amen. That's why the title of my message today is what? is the whole armor of God. What is the full armor of God? As we prepare to go into the 2020s, you had Pastor Collins' uh, our presentation, and you know, we, are, we are going to Westminster, Center, uh, Westminster Chapel. You know, we, we want to be looking ahead, uh, uh, researching for this, for this message, just looking at different things. Uh, I, I decided to go and look at the, 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 the Israelis. The Israelis, why do they always win their wars? Why do they, why, why is it that all the nations surrounding them saying we want this, we want the, the, the Jewish nation driven into the sea, why do they always lose when they fight them? Yeah, we know they are covenant people, we know they are the children of God, but the nation of Israel we have today is not the same Jewish nation that came out of Egypt. They are not being ruled by this book, the Old Testament. No, it's a political system. They make mistakes. They are not perfect. They are not, they're just like us in Britain, we are not. But they are advancing technology. They are advancing so many things. So I went to look at their, their agenda for the 2020s. And I was reading, I was watching a, 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 a video of, of the idea of the Israeli Defense Force uh, on, on YouTube. And they had this 2020 year plans. And the man was talking about uh, this plan for the 2020s is called the Gideon Plan. The Gideon Plan. How they were going to streamline the army and make them more effective. How they were going to equip them more. They, they already have a, an, a, a, so a well-established cyber warfare department that is going to fight all the cyber crimes you know, against the state of Israel. They want to keep their secrets safe. But they're going to the Gideon plan. They're going to this book to get a title for the plan for the 2020s. And that's why I'm going to encourage you, please don't miss Westminster Chapel. That will be treason. <laughs> and researching further on Israel and their army, I, uh, I, I came across a story of 
a general who came to one of the Pentecostal churches in America, and um, the pastor was talking about you know, the nation of Israel and how God, you know, worked with them and so on. And after the service, the general came to the man and said, I'm a general in the, in the Israeli army. You know, everything you said was correct, but you missed one point. The point is that we win. We win all our wars because we are committed. We are committed to the nation of Israel. We are committed to the existence of the nation of Israel. We are committed that our enemies are not going to drive us into the sea. And so what do we do? We look after our equipments. We, we make sure that we are one step, if not five steps ahead of our enemies in technology, in warfare, in intelligence, in everything that we do. We make sure that we are ahead of them. We plan way, way ahead. That's why we have to plan way, way ahead as a church for the 2020s. But he said, we make sure that our elite forces, the people that are enlisted in our elite forces, they are people who are so, so committed. Before we spend our money on you to train you and equip you and do everything that, that training that is going to cost the nation of Israel millions of shekels or millions of dollars to, to provide fantastic equipment for you before we hand you that equipment, we have to be sure that you are committed to the nation of Israel. We have to be, to be sure that you will, you will the nation of Israel is, is, is priority in your life, even above your family. And so I learned that, you know, when, they are, when, they, when their sons are 18 and their daughters are 18, doesn't matter where you are, whether you're in Britain, America, South America, wherever you are, you have to go and register in Israel to serve two years and be trained as a reserve force. And if you are discovered that you're one of the best, they put you in the elite forces and they look after you. And you know God has an elite force. And it's you and me. But the question for us this afternoon, number one question is, how committed are we to this regiment, Kensington Temple, London City Church? How committed are you as a soldier in this regiment because you are already an elite soldier? Why? Because you've been bought by the blood of Jesus. You submitted, you surrendered your life to Jesus. That makes you a soldier of soldiers. Some of you have been trained in the school of leaders. Some of you have been on encounters. Some of you have been to so many, you know, so many of our training. Bible school, uh, uh, sword of the spirit training. You are an elite force already, but are you committed to the battle? Because I haven't seen a soldier that's been given multi-million multi dollar, uh, multi-million pound equipment. They've said, yeah, we've trained you now, we've equipped you now. Now all you have to do is to go to sleep. Or go on vacation. No, 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 no. You don't do that. When you are given that equipment, when, you are, when you've been to that training, you're ready for war. In fact, they don't allow you to sit in your barracks and do nothing. No, you go for training. You go for warfare. You go for different kind of training. There's a young man in our church in Walthamstow who's joined the army recently. When I was discussing with him, with him the last time, the kind of training they give them 
The kind of things, mental training, mental toughness, ability to withstand the, the, the strangest of conditions that they have to go through. But when I saw him, after all that, I, I saluted him. I salute you. But with all that training, with all that equipment, what if he doesn't know how to use them? You have a multi-million, you know, I was watching one of those uh, American movies about, you know, war and all that, and I, was, I saw the, the general scolding the captain because he was doing some, some kind of somersault with the, with, the, with the fighter jet and said, you, you, do, you know, you, you, do you know what you have? Do you know what, when, you, when you're flying that jet, do you know what you're flying? You are flying a multi-billion equipment. The new generation equipment for warfare. You can't play jokes with it. You can't play with it like a toy. It's not a toy, young man. And it's the same thing with us. Paul says the equipment we have here, the whole armor we have here, is the armor of God, not the armor of man. It's not the armor of man at all. It's the armor of God. If a general is scolding a captain for toying with a multi-billion equipment made by man that could crash tomorrow and that's the end, what about the equipment God has given you and I? Amen. How much of it do we know? I went also on YouTube and I, I was looking at, you know, how soldiers oil their guns, make, you know, ready, they're, 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 you know, they, you, you have to be on standby, you could be called to the war front at any time, you know, and you have to be, especially if you're in the, in the commando services, or you are in the SAS, or, you know, those elite forces, you know, that they go on missions that we don't know where they, they've gone, their family, does, they don't even know they've gone, they don't know where they're going, even the soldiers themselves in these elite forces, probably they have their briefing paper 20 minutes before they land in the country, because it's so important. But notwithstanding, they must know that equipment. Some of them had to learn being blindfolded. Your, 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 your general, your, your captain, your, your, your commanders, your trainers will take the equipment apart and put it in front of you. And you are blindfolded and you have to pick, put them together. Just in case you are walking in the jungle in the darkness and your equipment falls apart and you are able to find the parts without seeing, without looking at what you are doing, you are able to put them together. A good soldier would take that gun and oil it so that when that crucial time comes, the gun does not jam or misfire. For some of us as Christians, we don't know how to put our equipment together. Every time we try to fire the equipment, it jams. It's not well oiled. You know, we come to church on Sunday, we read two scriptures with the preacher, we close the, that, that uh, armor of God, that equipment, that multi-billion, trillion, whatever you want to call it, equipment, and we put it on our, under our table for next week. And so it's gathering dust. And then when the enemy comes and you take the, you know, you take the, 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 your, your weapon to fight the enemy, you become like that crazy man years ago when I was a young man. <laughs> went to the zoo in my home country and the zoo was in the university had a flowing gown like a like a like a prophet took his, his this is my this is my weapon this is my armor and my weapon when the zookeeper was not looking he he climbed over the fence and jumped in the lion's den and looked at the lion say ja 
ja, ja, ja. And the lion was looking and thinking, dinner doesn't come this easy, you know? Dinner doesn't come this easy. But when the, when the lion was not moving, he went closer. Ja, hallelujah, ja, lion in the, Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel said, okay, welcome, for, welcome to, you know, only one of us will get out of this uh, game. He didn't come out. He didn't come out. And I also remember when I was young, when a new baby would be born in the family, you know, the, the parents, they would, they would make up the court and, you know, put the baby in the court and then they would open Psalm 23 and put it on the pillow. <laughs> they don't read the Bible. They don't even have a Bible they take to church, but as soon as the baby is born, they go to the shop and buy a Bible. They will open Psalm 91, you know, and, and put it on top of the Bible. And then, and then the, 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 the demon attached to the, the, the family, the demon attached to the family, the covenant they haven't broken, the demon comes into the room and sees the Bible and takes the Bible and swipes the baby's face with it. And they are wondering, what, what, why is it not working? Because that's not the way it's meant to work. That's not, look, I was listening, I was listening to the late Dr. Dere Prince, uh, 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 a message from him uh, a couple of months ago, and he was making an analogy about the blood, that we as Christians, we like to say, I plead the blood, I plead the blood, I plead the blood, and he was saying, yeah, you know, sometimes God will just help you, you know, and he said, when you, when you, when you want to apply the blood, look at what the New Testament says. Revelation says that we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and by the words of our testimony. And we do not love our lives even unto the end. And he says, you have to go to the New Old Testament and have to see the way the blood was applied for evil to pass over. You collect all of the blood in a bowl. That's the equipment to make the evil angel pass over you. You don't do it the way God says you should do it. You are not coming out tomorrow morning alive. Amen. Dr. Dreyfus said you collect that blood in, in, in a bowl, all of it. You put it in a bowl. Then you go find hyssop. The command is to find hyssop. You find hyssop, you dip hyssop in that blood and you put it on the, on the doorposts and on the, on, the, on, the, on the door mantle. That was the instruction. If you put it on the doorpost and you don't put it on the last place, it's not going to work. Because God gave specific instructions. That was the weapon against the enemy of, of destruction. Blood, bowl, hyssop, apply. You have to know how to use it. And so he says in the New Testament, when we, when we want to apply the blood of Jesus in any situation, you have to combine the blood with the testimony. And it's not the, 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 the regular testimony we have on Sunday that we put in rubber times, praise the Lord, I was believing God for this new house, and I got it, and I was, you know, this happened to me, praise the Lord. No, 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 no. The testimony, he said the testimony is the testimony of Jesus in your life. What is the testimony of Jesus in your life? When you begin to testify that I was saved by the blood of the Lamb, I was saved, I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and this is what Jesus has done in my life, that is your testimony. You are using the blood now. 
you are applying the blood. So when you have an equipment, you've got to know how it works. And you've got to know the equipment. A soldier, a commando's gun is his best friend. He knows how to put it together. And so here, Paul, in this passage of scripture we've read, puts it together for us. But we must understand it. And we must also know how to use it. There are so many books out there, I'm not going to belabor them. But there's one thing paramount in my heart today to pass on to you about the whole armor of God. The full armor of God. What is it? Because Paul paints for us here a picture. Guard your loins or guard your waist with truth. We know he's talking about belt there. And if we are not careful, I mean, I, I've done this in the past myself, you know, I must confess. Wake up in the morning and say to God, Lord, this morning I'm putting on the whole armor of God. I hereby put on the helmet of salvation. Hallelujah. I put on the breastplate of righteousness. I put on the boots of the preparation of the gospel. I take up the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit. And, and, I, and, I, and I think, and in my mind, I'm dressed to kill. <laughs> no, I wasn't dressed to kill. I was actually very naked in the spirit. Because that's not how you put on the armor of God. It's not physical. The warfare is not physical. So the armor is not physical. The battle is spiritual. The armor is spiritual. The enemy is a spirit enemy. And so you have to understand your armor to be able to put it on. So Paul says, first, verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and haven't done all that all to stand, stand therefore. Haven't gathered your waist with truth. So you must ask yourself, what is truth? What is truth? Because if you are going to guard your waist with truth, and we know belt, you know, my belt is holding up my trouser and my shirt tucked in. That's what the belt is meant to do. The belt is meant to hold everything together. The truth that you know holds everything together in your life. And we know that Satan is a liar. And the father of all lies. So if I don't know the truth of the word of God, the truth about the promises of God for my life, the belt I'm going to be wearing will be the lies of the enemy. And it's not going to work in the warfare. So I've got to know what truth is. Number one. Then number two, he goes on to say, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And you might be thinking, breastplate, you know, have an image in your mind about what the breastplate of righteousness is. Now today, in modern warfare, it's, it's armored, uh, what's it called? Body armor. Body armor. So Paul, in this place, is painting an image for us. Of course, we know of the old Roman soldiers, the way they dress to war. Their helmet, you know, their breastplate, their belt, their shoes, their, their, their shield, and their hand-to-hand -hand combat uh, sword. But if we are not careful, our minds, because of our imagination, will be focused on the image and so like me, ignorantly, you say, I put on the helmet of salvation. I put on the breastplate of righteousness. I'm wearing the boot now. And you never preach the gospel to anybody in your life. <laughs> so what exactly is the armor? 
The armor, simply put, is the word of God. The whole armor is the word of God. Because if you read it without the images, without the descriptions that Paul has given, you will discover it's the word of God. Okay, so let's look at it from verse, um, from verse 14. Stand therefore, having gathered your waist with truth. What is truth? Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The word of God is the truth. So the truth here is the word of God. So how much of the word of God do you have holding things together in your life? In your marriage, in your career, in your future, in your business, how much of the word of God is holding everything together? What is the truth that is holding your life together? I was saying in the morning in our services, uh, in our service in, in Walthamstow, Satan will come and whisper something into my ears or your ears. If I don't know that he's a liar and the father of all lies, that he's never told it, any truth in his life, I am likely to buy into his lie because I see facts. And facts are not necessarily the truth. I come to visit you in your house. You gave me a cup of coffee. My fingerprints are on the cup of coffee. God forbid as I leave your house, burglars came. And the police came with their fingerprint stuff. And they come to arrest me. You must be the one because we, we found the, 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 this, this householder, we found all her fingerprints or his fingerprints in the house, but we also found your fingerprints. So that puts you at the, at the, at the, what's it called? the scene of the crime. That's a fact. But I didn't steal your house. I didn't come to burgle your house. I wasn't the burglar. And that's the truth. The fact is, your great-great-great-grandmother died of this sickness. Your grandmother died of it. It also took your mother. That's the fact. But the truth is, it doesn't have to take your life. That's the truth. The fact is, science says, sickle cell anemia is incurable. The truth is, Jesus healed me of sickle cell anemia. The truth is in the word of God for your life. The truth is here in the promise of God for your life. But what, what is confronting the truth in your life? Because if you allow anything to confront the truth in your life, then that belt is weak. One day it's going to break. And everything will fall apart. And as a Roman soldier with the belt to guard your loins, everything must be held together so that the enemy doesn't pull that, that robe that you wear and, and slaughter you. The truth of the word of God must be what is guiding our lives. There is a lot of compromises in the church today. The word of God is watered down. There is a lot of compromise with the world. That's a, you know, and sometimes when we want to stand up to confront it, they, they look at us and they say, you're a bigot. You're a hater. And some people say, look, 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 you, you, you Christians, you need to move on. Yeah. 
Somebody said to me the other time, you know you Christians, you need to evolve. <laughs> I've been given the right to become a son of God. That's all the involvement I need. That's all the evolution I'm going to get in my life. I'm evolved. I'm a supernatural being. Born of God. He, I overcome the world. There's no more evol evolution in my life. I've evolved. I evolved from the camp of Satan to the camp of God. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not going to change for the Pope. <laughs> no, the Archbishop of Canterbury. He's not going to change his word for you. Neither is he going to change for me. So me, which means we are fully evolved. Because if we are not fully evolved, we can't sit with Christ in the heavenly places, far above principalities and powers. It's the highest you and I can go, and we're already there in Christ. So let's forget, maybe we could evolve. Maybe we could do something better than Jesus did it. Wow, that, you're, you're weakening your belt. And so he says also, the breastplate of righteousness. And we know that's to protect the vital organs. And you know, righteousness is not of you. It's of God in Christ. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's his righteousness. It's not about whether I, I swore three times this morning before I came to church. It's not even about the good stuff that I do out there. It's not whether I fast more than you or you fast more than me. It's not about whether you pray for one hour more than me and I can only do 15 minutes more than you. That does not add to your righteousness or my righteousness. Our righteousness is a gift from God through his son Jesus Christ. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. As long as I remain in Christ Jesus, with all of my faults, with all of my foolishness, with all of my craziness, with all of my inadequacies, with all of my disasters. I am still the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I thank God for the blood of the Lamb that washes me every time. I thank God for the blood. Because the Holy Spirit will let you know you got it wrong. And if your heart is not calloused, if your heart is not seared with hot iron, you may have done something more terrible than David. Committed adultery and murder on top of it. When that genuine repentance comes in your heart, when that godly sorrow grips you and you fall on your face before your father, God, the consequences might be there, but you are washed clean. The blood of God keeps, the blood of Jesus keeps cleansing us. So that righteousness, that breastplate of righteousness is not what you do or what you don't do. So you need to know, what does the Bible say about righteousness that I have? When you know that you know that you know that you know what the Bible says about you being the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, you've just put on the armor. Your breastplate is on now. Satan can stab and stab and stab and stab. His demons can stab and stab and stab. It's of no effect. 
Then Paul goes on to say, in verse 15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. <laughs> oh, how we pray that God will wake us up again to the heartbeat of Jesus. To make disciples of all nations. In this house, in our network, we've not shacked the responsibility of training people in evangelism. It's just that it's time for us to actually go out and do it. Two weeks ago, I was, you know, in my cell meeting on a Tuesday evening, I was speaking to my men, and I said, started from this angle, I said, how long have you been born again? Over 10 years. How long have you known the vision of KTLCC? 10 years? What are you, 7, 15, 8? And I said to the seven of them, when, when was the last time you personally led somebody to the Lord? Personally. Not that you invited them to church, they came and they gave their life to Christ. Because if you are going to be a disciple maker, you also have to be a soul winner. They, they can't become disciples if they don't hear the gospel. They can't hear the gospel unless somebody talks to them about it. And the only people that can talk about the gospel are those people who have been sent. And we are the ones that have been sent. We are the ones that have a vision, a prophecy over this house. Says, when we come in, we are hearers of the word. When we go out, we are doers of the word. Please, don't let those tele-evangelists tell you, you know, hallelujah, child of God, hallelujah, where you cannot go, your money can go, hallelujah. <laughs> you don't have to go on missions, just send us your money. No, no, in this house, we believe that you give to missions and you go on missions. You donate to a mission fund and then you raise up your own fund and you go on missions. When Pastor Collins says we are going to Romania, you say, send me, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Send me. But we are quick to say, here I am, Lord. Anoint me, bless me, but send him. <laughs> Father, give me the equipment. Give me the armor. I want the whole armor of God. But I ain't going nowhere, mate. No, it's not going to work like that. Here we believe in missions. It's London and the world for Christ. London and the world for Christ. London is our Jerusalem. We start in Jerusalem. We talk to our neighbors. So one of them said to me, Pastor, you know, we are all different. Our personalities are different. I said, yeah, I know. Sometimes our colors also are different. You are white and black. So you see, I just do, you know, the knocking of doors and talking to people. What if, if they don't like me? What if they slam the door in my face? What? And so I listened to him for about five minutes, raving and ranting. So I turned to the other people and I said, what do you think is wrong with him? I turned to the other men and I said, what do you think is wrong with him? They didn't get it. I said, okay, okay. What do you think is wrong with what he has just said? And then everybody was saying, I said, let me tell you what is wrong with you because it was what was wrong with me before. 
You have put yourself at the center of this. What if they slam the door in my face? What if they don't like me? What if they shouted at me? When it comes to the putting on of the boots of the profession of the gospel, it's not about you. It's about him and them. That was what was wrong in my evangelism in the past. That was why I was afraid to talk to people about Jesus. I don't want to be shouted at. I don't want to be... Jesus was rejected. He didn't take it personal. In fact, he said to the disciples, you're going to go into some houses. And when you say, peace be unto this house, they are not going to receive the peace. Let your peace come upon you. Come out, shake off your feet, and walk to the next house. You walk into a city, they don't receive you. Say, you know, come out of the city, shake the dust of your feet, and walk to the next city. But because when he was here, they rejected him. Let's not take rejection. When you're trying to reach people for Jesus, and you say, oh, do you know Jesus? And they say, I want to hear about Jesus. Say, okay, that's your loss, mate. Move on to the next person. But I know we have, we have a strategy here that is much, much better than what I'm talking about. We have a strategy of a list of 10. And from that, we ex extract out a prayer of three, an evangelism of three. And we fast for them. And we pray for them in ourselves. And we pray for them in our personal time of prayer. And then because now we are equipped with the power of the Holy Spirit, we'll go speak to them. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for them that believe. It's not about what I have to say. It's about how the Holy Spirit wants to use what I'm saying. Amen. The gospel never fails. That's why you are here, seated in this place. Because the gospel did not fail in your life. Some of us were resistant to the gospel. I used to have a discussion with one of my friends, Brother Bassi, at break time. We would talk and talk and talk. And one of my friends is a pastor in Nigeria now. His name is Femi. You, I would, Femi and I would sit at lunch and I would be screaming my head off. I know you are bad. Da, 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 da. And one day I was shouting so much. Under his breath, he just said, Satan, I bind you in Jesus' name. <laughs> Satan, I bind you in Jesus' name. He wasn't speaking to me. He was speaking to that spirit talking through me. And you know, I wanted to say something as I, uh, huh? <laughs> the word of God works. The gospel of the profession of peace. So I challenged my friends, my, my, my cell members. I challenged them. I said, would you, and this is a bit harsh. Please forgive me, it's a bit harsh. But it's serious business because the warfare is real. And the enemy is real. And I said to them, you, your brother is a Muslim. Went to prison, came out, and became a Muslim. If you walk out of this meeting today and you have, you have a telephone call that says he died, what would be your excuse for not at least talking? Let him slap you, okay? Let him say, I will, I will, I will, I will stab you, Allah Akbar. Then, you know, shake off the dust of your feet. <laughs> That's all you can do. The only thing we can do is to give the gospel. You cannot force anybody to accept Jesus. Jesus does not want you to even force anybody to follow him. But we must trust his word. We must trust his gospel, that the gospel has the power to do what God says he's going to do. The words that I speak to you, they're spirit and they're life. As long as we don't go with the letter, 
of the word. We go with the spirit of the word. The word will do what he meant to do. I know two of my friends who prayed for me for three years and kept plying me with the gospel. Until that day, I broke before God. If we don't give up, they will break. Because hell is real. Hallelujah. And then he says, above all, taking the shield of faith. Faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of God. The word of God is the shield. Satan says to you, you're going to die. You say, no, I'm not going to die. I will live to testify of the goodness of God in my life. I, because he lives, I will live also. Amen. That's the shield. That's the shield. The battleground is in, our, is in our mind. And so we fight that enemy. We take thoughts captive. We subject them to the obedience of God. Everything that wants to exalt itself above the knowledge of God in Christ, or of Christ, of God in your life, everything that wants to exalt itself above the knowledge of God in your life, you pull it down. You cast that thought down, that imagination. You cast it down. You reject it and say, no, that's not mine. That thought is not mine. That lustful thought, not mine. That adultery thought, not mine. That stealing thought, not mine. That cheating thought, that thought is not mine. Satan is yours, you can have it back. It's the word of God. The word of God is the shield of faith. And then he says, and take the helmet of salvation. Oh, hallelujah. I love this one. Because it's protecting my mind. You know, I was sitting down there a couple of years ago, probably about 17 years ago, Dr. Artikand was here on the floor teaching about the eternal salvation of the believer. And I was just coming from a legalistic teaching of you can lose your salvation. And I was one of those dreadful students that he was so very patient with, plying him with questions. What about this? What about that? And he was patiently <laughs> answering us. And I remember I have to go and serve him tea in Pastor Collins' office. And sometimes I just felt like putting some cyanide in his, in his tea. You know? Because I thought he was destroying the, the kingdom of God. Because now when people believe once saved, always saved, they are just going to go back into sin and begin to sin. And say, yeah, I'm already saved. I'm going to heaven and I, and I can do whatever I want now. I've forgotten that, you know. <laughs> Let me cut the long story short. So on the last day, it was a Friday, I sat down there, I listened to him. I prayed in the house before I came. I said, Lord, I know Pastor Colin is not going to bring somebody that will come and teach rubbish. So Father, today, I leave my arrogance, my pride, and everything that I think I know, and I want to hear you. And you know, it was the last sentence he said. He said, don't try to do the work of the Holy Spirit for him. If you think that you, you know, you're going to go to heaven today just because you haven't sinned today, you don't know what you're talking about. And I walked to the back there, thinking about it in my mind. In, in the consolidation room, the Holy Spirit said to me, I love you because I love you. The reason I love you is because I love you. Not because of what you do. I love you before you did anything. And when you've messed up, I still love you. And when you clean yourself up, I still love you. My love for you is unconditional. And I began to laugh like a madman. <laughs> and, and I went downstairs. You know, we used to go downstairs in the lower hall for coffee. And I was, I was downstairs thinking, talking to people. <laughs> he, he loves me. <laughs> Jesus loves me. Hallelujah. It was one of the armors of truth. 
like the seed of the kingdom of God in the parable of the sower, found a good ground in my heart, bam, produce fruit. So I know I can't lose my salvation. And he said, what if you become a pedophile tomorrow? I'm not going to become one. Because there's nothing in this life that is worth my relationship with Christ. Nothing. Nothing. Not 10 minutes or 20 minutes in bed with a strange woman. It's not comparable to my relationship with Jesus Christ. Not even my life. Not even my life. Nothing compares with the relationship we have with Christ. Whether I have money in my pocket or not, it doesn't matter. Whether I have billions in the bank, it doesn't matter. My relationship with Jesus means everything to me. So I am trying to understand the what, the what that God has given me as helmet of salvation. It's invaluable that I cannot die. Satan can't take my life without passing through God. I can't die before my time because I've been redeemed. I can never die again in my life. I can only fall asleep. And when Jesus comes back, I'm awake again. So why would I want to throw that away for anything? What do you know about your salvation that was purchased by the blood of the Lamb? What do you know about Jesus hanging on the tree for you? What do you know about the blood? That was, what do you know about the spare? What do you know about the crown of thorns? What do you know about the stripes and the whipping pole? When you understand that, when you understand that, the helmet of salvation is on you. Satan can no longer make you doubt your salvation anymore. Because you understand the price that was paid for it. And finally he said, take up. The sword of the spirit. And Pastor Colin taught us that it's not the broad sword, it's the short one. I'll give you an example of the short one. Satan came to Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus just came out of the baptism water and said, and God said to him, this is my beloved son. In him I'm well pleased. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And of course, when Satan came, please come up here my brother, come up. Let me do this demonstration and then we pray. Amen. Okay. So Satan was waiting for Jesus. It wasn't a shooting, you know, in the foxhole shooting. It, it, you know, this sword of the spirit is, a, is the one that you do with hand-to-hand combat. You must know how to use it. Please come here. Let's come into the, into the public view. Where I'm not going to stab you, so don't be afraid. <laughs> and the Bible says that Satan came to Jesus and said to him, If you are the son of God, God said, you are my beloved son. I am pleased with you. Satan came and said, if you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread. He got his short sword out and was about to stab Jesus. Hold up your hand. No, 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 this way. Ah, Jesus, hand to hand combat. Jesus stopped it. And then Jesus pushed his hand away and stabbed him and said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone. Turn this stone to bread. It is written, man shall not live by bread. Turn the stone to bread. Man shall not live by bread. It's a hand-to-hand combat. 
at that point in time, Jesus did not say, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Because that, that could have been a broadsword. A broadsword. Thank you, my brother. I said, I said to, to some people a couple of months ago, as Christians, we like to listen to these preachers on TV who say, it is written, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Send me a thousand pounds and you'll become a millionaire tomorrow. So I said to the church in Waltham, I said, if you believe that, you are an idiot. I'm sorry to say. Because that scripture is not a prosperity scripture. That scripture is a scripture that meets your needs. And as a prerequisite for it. If you are somebody that blesses your pastors, none of you come to Waltham, so I'm not, saying, I'm not asking money from you now. You know, but you don't know how to bless Pastor Colin. You don't know how to bless Pastor Bruce. You don't know how to bless your cell leaders or your G12 leaders and say, look, you are doing a great work. This is 10 pounds. Go buy yourself a cup of coffee. I, you know, when I came to the cell meeting yesterday, I was challenged and I was blessed. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 is not going to work for you. Okay, you know. You know, Pastor Colin didn't ask me to come and ask you to give him money. He, you know, if you give it to him, he probably put it in the, in the offering basket anyway. I know him very well. But if you want Philippians chapter 4 verse 19, then read what Paul said. He said, you Philippians, even when I was over there, you were the one ministering to me. And, when, and then there was no occasion for you to minister to me. But now you found that same occasion and you are ministering to me. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. When you do that, you bless people who bless you spiritually. The Bible says so. When people have ministered to you spiritually, minister back to them. Immaterial stuff. When you, when you say, Pastor Colin, that message last Sunday was for me. And man of God... This is a brand new handkerchief from W.A. Smith of wherever. You know, I just use it to wipe your car. You don't have to go and use your credit card. You don't have to. It, they brought what they had. Then you have just answered the word of God with the word of God. You have just used that small, short sword of the spirit. Because it's not just to, to bind the enemy and to attack the enemy. It's also to dig a harvest for yourself. Amen. Can I hear you say Amen. amen. 